You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. And Marty. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday the 2nd of October and we have got a fun show lined up with some MMO stuff which we haven't touched too much on lately as well as a couple other fucking awesome games. And of course we've got Vince and Marty here, Joe is not here but you will get to hear him later because he did a feature on Hob that we're going to play at the end so make sure to stick around for that. So let's start off with some Final Fantasy because we got some information on both 15 as well as 14 so go ahead Vince. All right so... <clears throat> yeah, so go ahead, Vince. <laughs> That's your do-over. Everyone gets a mulligan. No, not here. We don't. <laughs> yeah, so, no, here I loop it <laughs> with some dance music in the background. Oh, that would be sweet. It kind of wears on you after the fourth or fifth time. Then smarten up, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to start off with Final Fantasy XIV. Their latest expansion, Stormblood, came out a couple months ago and has been a huge success. And we are already lining up for next week, actually, on the 10th, getting the first major patch in patch 4.1, subtitled The Legend Returns. And this is a hell of a patch. To begin with, they're continuing the main story. Uh, I can't speak too much on that because I haven't experienced too much of the actual Stormblood story yet. I'm, you know, just been going around doing some of the other stuff I missed over the years, not playing, you know, crafting, gathering. So have you actually game. gotten into the, the zones and the content yet, or are you just, you're not even up to that level yet? Well, my intention was to like, cause there's a, there's a system in the game that's called, um, I, the untold journey or something like that, where you can, it's a book that you go click on the book and you can watch all of the cut yeah, scenes exactly, from yeah. the game. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll just go back because when I used the the potion thing to jump ahead in the story, it unlocked all of those cutscenes for me. So I started doing that. And after like five days, I realized I was like 20 percent through <laughs> like, just watching the cutscenes is like 30 hours. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm I'm just reading a uh, recap. So once I finish the recap, I'm going to jump into the actual new story stuff. That's funny. <laughs> That's a because lot. it is a continuous story, so I want to know like what happened previously before I jump into it. Uh, however, from what I gathered from this uh, cool little trailer they put together, uh, with the main thing with uh, the nation of Alamigo going into Stormblood was that uh, all of the allied nations of Eorzea were going to band together to free Alamigo from the control of the evil Garlean Empire. Presumably that is accomplished through the 4.0 storyline because what we see here in the trailer is them now trying to rebuild society and learning that that's in a lot of ways harder than fighting for your freedom is what you do afterwards. That's going to be some interesting story stuff going on there. The big thing about this, why it's called the legend returns is additionally, they're adding in a 24 man raid, the return to Ivelisse. 24. Yeah. Fuck. That's a lot of people. It's actually they I if I'm remembering correctly, they didn't do any 24 person raids during the 3.0 patch time. 
Uh, like it's stuff from the 2.0 and then they kind of went away from them for a while, but they're bringing it back for this spe- uh, special event. Because for those, for those who aren't aware, Ivalice is the world from Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII. So it's crossing over 14 with those other previous games, which there's been a lot of that throughout uh, 14. Not just like I was talking about, like they had like little special events like with uh, Lightning Returns and stuff, but a lot of the dungeons are actually modeled after like classic dungeons from the franchise. A lot of the bosses are reimagined. And now that, like I said, I'm kind of recapping the storyline, I realize that's kind of built into the storyline because I just got to a point where they're talking about how the universe had been fractured into like 13 different copies of the original, which, of course, if you do the math, this being the 14th game, you can guess what those other 13 realities were. So they're kind of bringing a lot of that stuff together here, which I like. And yeah, but hold on. Let me back up there. Are people actually in game or, you know, the, the community? Are they actually clamoring to bring back 24 person raids? Some of them, yes. Really? I thought we'd gotten past that time of well, those that, massive raids because it's it's just a logistical and an actual fucking mm-hmm. nightmare. Oh, it's the worst. I, it's, I, I, you're I'm hurting sure. ferrets. And, and especially now they're actually adding in the um, the roulettes and the matchmaking system so that you can just do like LFG for the 24-person content. Oh, my God. <laughs> but. Oh. <laughs> But you see, the thing that they've done is this isn't like a story relevant dungeon. So like if you can't get together the 23 people and you can't do it, like you're not missing anything vital to the game. So I, we'll see how it works out. Like, I, I personally, I'm not a fan either. But again, a lot of people are really happy to see the 24 man content coming back. It's one of those things where I can look back to it and because of the time since I've done it, look back and say, yeah, you know what? We did have some fun times and I'm glad I I did it kind of thing. But there's no fucking way in hell that I would ever want it to come back. I mean, Mm -hmm. anything above 10 even is just a logistical nightmare. It's just not fun anymore. And you're bound to be with people who are either assholes or just don't care or whatever. Or, yeah, or both. I just, yeah, I'm just remembering my <laughs> shit. Like it was, it, we were. It was awful for for us to get a molten core raid together, and oh God, I just yeah. remember drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All that aside, though, I am interested to see like how the actual event plays out. Not, it's not an event; it's a part of the game now because they actually brought in some of the creators of Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy Tactics to work on this scenario, like the artists and the, the story designers. So this isn't just the 14 team playing, paying homage to what came before. I, it's the fact that most of these people still work at Square Enix is a, a big help that they could come in and actually kind of go back and like redo this world that they helped create in a new environment. It also shows, too, that those prior teams who worked on the prior games have a, a, a certain amount of respect for what they're doing with 14, that they would mm-hmm. want to collaborate with them for this. That that speaks highly for them, too. Yeah. And I remember Final Fantasy Tactics, but which one was 12? Like, I stopped playing after 12 10. was uh, the other PS2 era game. So it came out after 10 and 11. But it was it was the last of the PS2 games. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't enjoy it too much. Like the the characters, well, the main characters were not very interesting. I wasn't a big fan of the combat system. Uh, but they just released like 
an updated remixed version of it uh, for PS4, which if it's on sale, I might pick it up because like a lot of the issues I had with the combat system have been refined Uh, because basically after the game came out, they released an international version of the game with a lot of these updates that just didn't come to America. And I heard that version of it was actually pretty damn good. And that's the version that they've remastered. Oh, okay. So beyond that, there's the the usual stuff, some new dungeons coming. The uh, thing that a lot of the player base is really uh, excited for here is they are opening up the new Shirogane housing district. So for those who don't know how housing works in Final Fantasy XIV. Badly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the actual housing of like being able to like decorate it and all that, fucking awesome. And they actually exist in wards where you have a house that's part of a ward of other houses. So, like, it's an actual neighborhood. You can leave your house and walk to somebody else's house and stuff like that, which is really cool. But due to uh, their budgetary constraints, there is a limited amount of server space for these houses. So not everybody gets one. So the minute the servers go back up after this patch, there is going to be a giant land rush of everybody zerging the housing district to try and buy the house they want. (laughs) It's something you'd expect to see in Wild West Online, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We had a a free company meeting, uh, free company being this game's version of uh, guilds the other day. And it was, okay, you know, what ward do we want? You know, trying to decide on which plot planning out the quickest route to get there to buy it after you teleport in. (laughs) God, that is not fun. No. But it's very pretty. Yeah, but I I keep going back to the same thing. Pitting players against players for housing Mm -hmm. is just never a good idea. No, it It it, breeds contempt. It's a terrible system. Yeah. And they, they claim it's because, you know, they don't have the server architecture to give everybody a house. I don't know if I quite believe that. Because other games have no problems doing it. I don't buy it. No. 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 Uh, Beyond that, uh, we're getting a a new uh, hard mode for a couple encounters. Uh, First of all, Shinryu's domain. Shinryu being the final boss encounter for the 4.0 storyline. So what they do is they have these things called minstrel's ballads. There's a character in the game called the Wandering Minstrel. He's actually, his character model is actually... uh, uh, Yoshida, the producer of the game. Like, it's uh, him. Uh, 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 and the whole thing is he's, you know, after you, you've, you know, defeated these enemies, at some point in your travels, you told the story to the wandering minstrel. So when you go to the minstrel's ballad version of the encounter, it's him being a flamboyant storyteller and exaggerating upon your efforts. That's so awesome. they add in extra mechanics sometimes extra bosses will show up to make your uh, your exploits seem that much more impressive <laughs> so it's a way for them to uh, ratchet up the difficulty on the encounters as like a side quest sort of deal i love it when they do this meta bullshit in this game <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just really love it <laughs> they're I'm also kind of the meta bringing back uh, the original raid from 2.0 with a new ultimate difficulty mode uh, and I saw people on the live stream, like their reactions freaking out because apparently you're fighting multiple of the raid bosses at the same time. Oh, buffed damn. to hell. Oh. <laughs> it, it's Why? their way of saying like people want harder content in the game, but they don't want to make like the mainline content too hard. So like, OK, we're going to take this other encounter 
and just make it the most devilishly violent thing we can do. And if you can clear it, great. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to be in a freaking good guilt with people whose company you enjoy if you're going to do that. Well, I mean, if you're in a progression rating guild and you want like the hardest, most hardcore stuff available, there you go. Uh, They're also adding in a new PvP mode called Rival Wings, which looks cool as shit because it's like a point capture defense sort of mechanism where you get to ride giant building sized mecha on the battlefield. (laughs) Okay, I'm trying to picture that. I'm having a hard time picturing that. Final Fantasy, you know. Okay, yeah, that's true. true. (laughs) And then, actually, one of the coolest systems. There's a bunch of other little changes as well, but one of the coolest things for this patch for me. uh, Back in the 3.0 timeline, uh, they added in a feature called Adventurer Squadrons. Uh, As part of your progression through the game, you can join with the, uh, essentially, like the uh, the army of one of the three standing cities, and what they added in is the ability to recruit NPCs. And it's kind of like a, like a mobile gotcha game almost, except without the microtransactions where you have to, you can collect all the various NPCs and make a team and then send them off on quests. And it's, it's, it's fun because like you have like this little place to hang out and it's it's a nice little side game. It's fucking wows garrison. Yes. Just without being terrible. Okay. Well, I'll reserve judgment on that. <laughs> it's something you do for two minutes once a day. Oh, yeah, that's way better than the Wild Garrison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're doing here is they're uh, ad- advancing the Adventurer Squadrons, where now you can actually uh, glamour your squadron, uh, glamour being Final Fantasy XIV's version of Transmog, so you can customize their gear, which... I mean, I can understand, like, it, it's fun in and of itself because, you know, but at the same time, nobody else ever sees your adventurer squadron. But this becomes important now because they're adding in the ability to run dungeons with your NPC adventurers. So now, like, Swodor. <laughs> yes. And like they showed off a uh, little bits uh, of some of the dungeons, like with the adventures. The AI is actually really good. <laughs> like people were freaking out because the healer was like casting damage spells in between healing the party, which is something a lot of actual healers in the game don't do. <laughs> so- <laughs> if they could set it up so that you can have an entire party with just you and those guys, the NPCs, and you can run dungeons and shit. That's that's exactly it. Uh, At this point, it's only, I think, like five or six dungeons ranging from like level 24 to 50. Uh, But the plan is to continue adding more and more of those in. Some of that has to do with just the mechanics of the dungeons. I'm sure there's certain things that are more complicated to program the AI for, like, you know, having like run and hit switches and like dodging AOEs probably isn't that hard to program in. But some of the other stuff I can see some of the more mechanics heavy dungeons would be a problem. Okay, when you're talking about the glamour, um, what about, though, like, do you have to also equip them with armor? Again, like early SWOTOR to min uh, No, out? no. Their, their stats and armor and weapon levels are dependent on their actual character level. Okay. As far as I know, it's just cosmetic. See, because that's one of the things that I actually really enjoyed 
about SWOTOR early on, mm-hmm. and a lot of people did, and were disappointed when they kind of stupefied it later on so that, you know, it doesn't matter what they wear. And so this kind of thing, you can, again, be running these dungeons over and over again, grinding them just to min-max the gear, not just for yourself, but also your entire crew. I, I fuck, I love that idea. Because that's one of the things that I love doing early on in SWOTOR was... Either by myself or I would do it with my son because we were both playing at the same time. So there'd be he and I plus two more because mm-hmm. of our NPCs. And then we'd just max out their fucking gear so they could do a really good job. And then we would just run through a whole bunch of content together like that, different instant stuff. And it was so much fun. So, yeah, if they do a good job with this, I'm not saying get me back in the game, but mm-hmm. if if it wasn't for the cost, yeah, it probably would get me back in the game. I mean, it's the first step of a new system. I, I'm very interested to see how it goes and if and how they continue to grow it past here because it's it's unique for this game. Like, it's not, this isn't the only game to do it, but it's something new that they're adding to 14 that, uh, I, again, I hope I hope it's really well executed. Let us know. When you yeah. finally get it around to giving it a shot and all that, make sure to bring it up for the show notes, okay? Yeah, I still have to level my squadron. Most of them are only in the 40s, and you don't unlock a lot of the new stuff until you get them to level 50. But I'll get there. Well, either yourself or Allie. <laughs> my squadron is higher level than hers. <laughs> That's because she spends all her fucking money on glamour. <laughs> <laughs> and then before we get away from Final Fantasy 14, I had linked another video to you guys a couple weeks ago to this group called A Stage Reborn. And this is actually really cool. And this is, goes back to what I was talking about, how what you can do with the game's housing system in that this you know group of people is uh, took their house in Final Fantasy and turned it into a stage like they created and you can open it up to have people, you know, anybody enter. So they created a place for the audience to sit and a stage where they actually perform plays. That's awesome. This is like fucking Wildstar. I swear to God. Yes. When I, I, the, 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 the guild that I made in Wildstar when it first came out was so fucking great. And we had wonderful people and we had a bunch of people like there was a lot of people, well, was and still is a lot of people that, that cared only about the housing. And we had some of those in our group and one of them, and I still keep up with her because she's actually in our clan for like, uh, Diablo three and, and other stuff. She and her husband and she, um, teaches acting, uh, in, in, in high school and she made, fucking Shakespeare theater on her plot. And you could go on all the different levels. You could see all of the, like the seats, everything. And then the play could be had at the bottom in the, in the center. So yeah, those kind of things are fucking awesome. Yeah. And, and the amount of work they put into this is ridiculous. Like, of course you, there's a lot of game systems working in their favor, like the, the glamor system that I mentioned previously for like doing quick costume changes uh, the emotes in this game are ridiculously over the top and a lot of the, the things you can do there. There's also an item that you can add to your housing called an orchestrion, which is essentially a jukebox for the game soundtrack. And then if you can, you, you have to collect a lot of the various tracks to add them to your orchestrion. So there's actually musical accompaniments to the play now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what good. they've done for their latest performance is called The Story of Maria and Draco. And it's actually based on 
one of the fan favorite scenes from Final Fantasy history. Uh, back in Final Fantasy VI, there's this large section of the game where the characters actually have to perform in an opera. And it in game, it's mostly just pressing the A button to advance dialogue. But the story is like fun and goofy. So they brought that and turned it into an entire three hour production. <laughs> So if you want to check it out, these people uh, have a lot of fucking free time. (laughs) (laughs) Go to a stagereborn.com. It's got links to their, their YouTube and other stuff. And like, they have two versions of it on the YouTube. One is like, you know, the audience view, if you will, like, you know, it's just a static camera. And another one is actually one like they shot in private with like actual like camera work and cinematography added. So it's cool as shit. I'm really impressed with what people are doing with this game uh like i saw another one somebody turned their apartment into a photo studio with just like having the 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 background set up and like actual lighting in place so that you can go and just take pictures of your character with like the perfect lighting effects already done for you oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's that's ingenious yes and i applaud it I, I never cease to be amazed by by this community in this game. It's it's cool as shit. It, it, uh, Roger, I agree with you. It's a lot like what we saw in Wildstar, just in a successful game with people yeah, playing. It. Yeah, yeah. The again the, the the thing with Wildstar is it's it's by far the best housing ever, ever, ever. But there's not enough people playing the game, and there's mm-hmm. constantly rumors of it going under because of it. So, which is too bad. But yeah. I fucking I love housing. You saw my housing stuff in Wildstar. I fucking adore that <laughs> stuff. So yeah, the only problem again, going back to Final Fantasy, is that you might not get a fucking plot. So yeah. then yeah. I, I'll be honest, the only reason I have a casino is because Alicia already had a house yeah. and just shared it with me and gave me the downstairs to whatever I wanted with it. <laughs> oh good. So now I have a casino. All right. All right well then moving, moving on, on <laughs> to Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, we got uh, a look at their new multiplayer expansion coming out, out called Final Fantasy XV Comrades. So first of all, this trailer was actually really cool. Come to find out that, uh, I, I don't know if you guys actually watched the trailer. I'm sure, Roger, you saw Final Fantasy and just kind of glazed over. He's not the only one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just watch the trailer and listen to the music. Like, the vocalist on this song is fantastic. And she's a Japanese high schooler. Really? Cool. Yes. Great voice. Really lends a lot of gravitas to the trailer. <laughs> and God damn it, this actually looks good. I have You know why had... I had didn't watch it though, dude? Because you keep saying the game is fucking bad. I know. <laughs> so I'm I have watch been it. <laughs> so critical of the game. <laughs> but also remember I put like 150 hours into it to get the platinum trophy. <laughs> That's just because you're neurotic. That has nothing to do with it being a good game. No, it it's a bad story with fun, interesting gameplay in a cool world with characters you don't care about. And <laughs> sign me it, up. It's still fun to play in an isolated sphere. No, that, wow, that, that aside, that aside. So what we have here is the multiplayer expansion for the game. So spoilers for a game that came out a year ago. There's a point where the main character Noctis uh, literally goes away for five years. The, the game does a time skip. So when he comes back, the world is fucked. Like the sun is literally gone. Demons are ravaging the countryside. I'm like this is cool as shit. 
I want to, I can't wait to do stuff in this version of the world. And you're just railroaded to the last dungeon. You actually don't get to do anything there. So what the <laughs> multiplayer expansion is, is new characters, you know, created by you playing in the world during that five-year period where it's going to shit. So the parts that seemed really interesting that the game wouldn't let you play. And another one of my major complaints was that I felt character advancement in 15 was very unsatisfying. There was not a lot of customization to be had. Each character could equip a very limited set of weapons with a very limited set of attacks. But the limiters are off here for the multiplayer expansion. Like you can customize your character to use whatever type of skills you want, whatever type of weapons you want. It takes that core of fun, interesting gameplay that the game started with and moves it into a more open direction to just make it feel the way you want it to feel instead of just being stuck with a sword for literally ever because that's all your character can use. Okay, back up and explain it differently. How is this multiplayer? I don't understand how this is qualifying as multiplayer. Because when you make a group of four people... You can either play through it solo with NPC companions or with three oh, other okay. actual people. Okay. That's like cool. it's, it's set up as a mission structure where you accept a mission and it forms a group for you. So basically they're trying to have an MMO inside of their RPG. Yeah. So they can it, do dungeons. It, yeah. It that, that, sounds like, um, like a Mass Effect style, Mass Effect 3, Mass Effect yeah, drop. that's actually a, a really good way to look at it. It's like a side content to the main game with multiplayer. Okay. That sounds actively interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And they haven't said how much the standalone expansion will cost. However, if you bought the season pass, which was $25, and I think you can still buy the season pass, they've already put out three like single player expansions that were several hours each on their own. So I, I do have to give them credit for giving people a hell of a lot of content for their money. They, they've updated this game content. quite a bit. <laughs> I still don't know if they've made it better, but they have made it more. And <laughs> despite everything bad I've said about the game, it still has a very loyal fan base that loves it. So they're continuing to cater to that audience. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, this multiplayer expansion is kind of looking good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the first time uh, we're talking Final Fantasy 15 where I'm like, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, that's not enough for me, though. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen. Listen, you, you a spent a long time telling us how bad it was. World <laughs> and character motivations and plot twists that make no sense because they're not based on any previously established story elements. <laughs> Have I got a game for you? Do you want to push a car around a desert? I got you covered. Pushing the car is actually one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) (laughs) The highlight of the game was literally the open credits. All right. Anything else? 
I, I think I've talked enough for now. I think you have. Let's move on. We uh, recently got some news about DC Universe Online. Right now, none of us are playing it, although, like I said, I've been considering going back, and I may at some point just to get caught up on some of the episodes because there's been some really cool stuff that's been occurring in the game. And, of course, they take some cues from what is going on in the comics. And so what we're seeing here with the 29th episode, which is a fucking lot. I mean, episode 30 is coming out in November. They've already got it planned out and it sounds incredible as well but back to 29 and this is bringing you back to gotham and it's called riddled with crime and what this is is basically batman's missing nobody really knows where he is if he's been captured or he's just doing batman shit who knows where kind of thing and basically the joker and riddler are teaming up to wreak havoc in in uh, in gotham this is actually very similar, not just to what has been going on in the comics, and we'll go to Marty for that in a moment, but also kind of what we're seeing in season two of Batman with Telltale's Batman. I started the first episode, and that first episode, you've got a lot going on with with Riddler, a lot going on with Riddler, but... As Bruce Wayne, you've also got a lot going on with who will eventually become uh uh, a joker and so you're getting the dynamics of playing both of them and playing both of them off of each other as well and it was a lot of fun in that that episode that first episode so i'm i'm guessing that we'll get that same kind of thing from this as well there's going to be a, a crap load of scenarios that are going to be presented both from the hero side as well as the villain side and apparently the villain side is a lot more violent and there's going to be a bunch of rewards that are going to be mainly riddler theme based kind of thing there's a suit there's also a batwoman mask because you're working if you're a hero with nightwing and batwoman and also with uh, and then you've also got Harvey Bullock is back and you shit like that kind of thing. So depending on who you're doing missions for, they all have their motivations as well. Nightwing's interested in finding out what happened to Batman. He wants you to go out and essentially kind of knock some heads or investigate and see if you can find out where he might be. Batwoman, much more of a no, we need to deal with what's going on right now with the, the Riddler or Joker kind of thing and get you out and knocking heads but this time villain heads and then you're also on the villain side you're also kind of dealing with with penguins got his own a new zone set up and whatnot and you can work with him and because the villains have kind of aligned with either the joker or the riddler as well and so you're kind of piggybacking off of who's got their 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 faction essentially kind of thing and and i'm curious how long that'll last because as has always been the case too the villains only kind of stick together until it's benefit it's no longer beneficial to themselves and then they take off and i'm presuming the same thing is going to happen here so now shifting over to the comic books are you actually reading batman right now what's going on with this I am totally reading this. And like uh, back in the day when comic book and former rest in peace, I just crossed myself as if you guys can see me. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say uh, occasional disparaging things about Batman because he's not my favorite. And then Tom King, uh, who wrote like my, one of my favorite uh, books from last year, The Vision, uh, he's a DC exclusive and he's basically using his CIA background and he's writing Batman. And right now in the storyline, it's a mini arc uh, basically called that is called 
the Joker versus the Riddler, uh, the war of jokes and riddles. And the basic plot line is the Riddler is obsessed with finding out the riddle of Batman and to the point where everything else seems banal and inane. And he is so bored with everything. It's pathetic. He has that in a panel. And the Joker doesn't find anything funny because the Batman is ruining his fun. And they, uh, Joker's going to go kill Batman. Riddler figures it out and stops him. Joker shoots him. He gets away, of course, because he's still alive. But that sets up a war between the Joker and the Riddler. And on the Joker side, you got Penguin, Mr. Freeze, Puppet Master, and Solomon Grundy. The Riddler has Poison Ivy, Killer Croc, and Two-Face. And this is all Bruce Wayne is telling this whole story of who, what happened during the War of Jokes and Riddles and how Batman eventually picked a side. Uh, and I found it to be really cool when I was looking up what's going on DC Universe Online. The reason why the primary raid gear is going to be Riddler based is because Batman decides to side with the Riddler in the War of Jokes and Riddles. Um, this all takes place after Year Zero, which is by the fantastic Snyder and Capullo. Uh, but I haven't read it yet. Um, so but it's <laughs> that's where that is. Uh, but War of Jokes and Riddles is phenomenal. Uh, it even makes Kite Man cool. So, but not in a heroic or anti-heroic way, but in a man, this poor schmuck kind of way. And I love Kite Man. So, they're also bringing uh, Man Bat into this as well. They showed some raid yeah. content. And you're going to be fighting a crap load of Man Bats apparently, and uh, and whatnot. I like the zone that they set up, the Gotham Zoo. That's it, it. Looks cool, especially like once they the what we saw was just the devs kind of previewing in in that video. But uh, but I haven't seen any actual vo- footage of it live now, which it would be. So I'm curious what that that raid looks like because it looked like it would actually be a lot of fun. And oh, there's it some fun. one of the things that I like about DC Universe Online too that they do so well is that rewarding you for various encounters with shit that you can put in your lair as well. So, in, again, we were just talking about housing and whatnot. They do it completely differently. And it's a system I'm not as crazy about because it employs the same kind of hooks that we see in SWOTOR, which is a system I'm not crazy about. But the end result is you can get something that looks really fucking cool that you've tailored to your experiences. And because of the the type of game that it is, it works. And it works better, I find, than like something like SWOTOR kind of deal. So, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming out for for this. I shouldn't say coming out. It is out right now. You can play it. And then in November, they're already talking about episode 30, which is going to put you, you're going to travel with the Justice League and Lex Luthor to Earth 3, which is an evil version of Earth. And that's where the crime syndicate is. We've seen that in the, the comics periodically as well, not just the comic books, but the animated series as well. So they it has essentially, it's the Justice League, but they're all bastards and bitches. <laughs> so you go and you're going you're gonna to fight those. So that actually is, again, I keep saying the same thing. Like there's, there's some of these I'm like, I really, really want to play this. I can't afford to pay all the money for each fucking episode. <laughs> right. But at some point, I will sub back again so that I can play through them. Because if you're subbed, you can play through them for free. It's just, again, with the Canadian exchange, U.S. Canadian exchange, I'm not paying 25 bucks nearly for a, a sub. But it, it looks super, super interesting. Yeah, the I saw the uh, jokeified man bat, and I'm like, that's a pretty slick looking model. And the fact that they're pulling inspiration from the War of Jokes and Riddles, I'm I'm hyped yeah. for that. 
Yeah. If you are interested in that kind of thing as well, and again, if you're not quite as interested in the DC Universe online, do check out, though, the second season of Batman. You don't need to have played the first season from Telltale, of course, but it, it will offer a little bit more context. But again, not that it's necessary, but it's cheap to pick up the, the, the first one, pick it up and play it. I thought it was really good. And the second one is aiming to really impress me as well. I did enjoy it. So let's move on to Destiny 2, of course, because we can't have an episode without talking about Destiny 2. <laughs> the whole reason why I'm here. Basically, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought you. Um, when so, Destiny stops being relevant, fired. Yeah, really? <laughs> um, I've maxed out my faction now for two of my characters, and I only have maybe a half hour grinding tonight to max out my last faction, and then I'm done. So where are you two at right now, Vince? Well, I'm only doing one character right now. So, uh, oh, really? I yeah, I, I, I'm taking my time with the game. I'm not rushing through trying to like gear up crazy. I'm just enjoying it. It's like a couple hours a day, like two days a week, really. So like I'm slow playing it. I'm not yeah. burning myself out. So yeah, my, my Titan, I aligned with new monarchy. Um, and I got a lot <laughs> of those tokens <laughs> like the first day. Uh, but as, as I was saying in the pre-show, uh, I have, well, you can't max out. You can keep turning in tokens forever. But yeah, but you only after, get shaders. Yeah, after 30 engrams, the only rewards you get are shaders. So I have cashed in over 30 engrams, gotten numerous guns and lots of boots and gloves and absolutely no helmet. So I have three, well, 80% counting the uh, the Titan mark. So I have 80% of a new monarchy set and absolutely no way currently to get the last piece. Yeah. Ugh. And uh, I signed up. I'm also taking a slower approach. Uh, I was hopefully going to get some time in tonight, but it, I'm probably just going to go and read something that is not either a comic book or related to a video game um, for once. And uh, I'm with a uh, future war cult, the best war cult. And uh <laughs> They're ugly. I, They're so fucking ugly. You know? <laughs> now, I've been Future War Cult since uh, pretty much day one. And I would wholeheartedly agree. I think the new stuff that I've got, the yellow accents are a little much, but it's not as garish as it was like the Destiny 1 exotic cloak, which I don't know how you would consider that attractive on anything. Like maybe if you saw, or you're one of those like people that have the extra cone in the eye, so you can see another million colors, maybe <laughs> then it would be aesthetically pleasing. But the new stuff, uh, I have a picture of my Hunter sitting in the future war cult lounge, which looks amazing. And I think it's a pretty good look for him. <laughs> Did you see so, the pictures of my guys? <laughs> no, I, yes, yes. Because I was feeling, I was feeling proud there for a moment. Because I'm looking at my Titan and it was like, you guy, you rock. Okay, it's it's not perfect, but it looks good, and you look like a tough ass EXO. And then I look at my Hunter, and it's like, you are fucking gorgeous, beautiful. I love this outfit. I love the colors. And then there's my Warlock, and it's like, oh, what the fuck kind of dorky? Oh, it, again, I keep going back to Burning Crusades. It was like so fucking ugly. So, oh, man. If those wings flapped, maybe it would be more attractive. I've gotten rid of that. So. Fuck that shit. I hate that thing. Oh, my God. I hate it. I, you, I, know, you know what's funny is that 
<laughs> the outfit he's talking about is a chess piece, and it's a warlock only, and it has these weird four wings on the back that stick out, and they have gems in them, and it just, it, again, on first sight, you might think, hey, that's neat, not for long, and especially when you're mm-hmm. staring at it in front of you when you're as your character's running forever. But what's really funny is that if if you're wearing it and you go on a speeder on a sparrow, you lean forward so much on the sparrow that it looks like it's horns. It looks like moose horns coming out of your head. And I had a flashback to fucking horrible wow druid helms. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a trigger. It was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I oh changed it and I put another outfit on. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking forward to those collecting days uh, for my warlock. But uh, I got to be honest, uh, I'm love. I, I really enjoy some of the shaders that Future War Cult does, but I'm pretty sure Dead Orbit has the most striking ones around. No, no, the, the new monarchy ones. New monarchy ones? The new monarchy ones are mm-hmm. unbelievable. One is more of a burgundy, blood red, and the other one is uh, more bright. But what's funny is that I, I have been working on on gearing up and, and fixing my warlock and, and making them look somewhat fucking presentable. And <laughs> so I've been going through all of the shaders that I have to see which ones kind of look interesting and i kind of found out a few interesting things too as i was doing the same with the the titan as well because some of the the pieces like as an example the there's a a set of gauntlets for the titan that have what appears to be veining almost which is kind of weird but if you have certain shaders the veins will glow either blue or green kind of thing but most of the other ones, it just like looks like it's underneath the fabric. But there's a oh, few shaders cool. that will make it pop, like really shoot out. And it's like, holy fuck, that's cool. So I went through a crap load of them. And I found that, again, the one that's more of the burgundy and golds and whatnot for the, the new monarchy just pretty much look gorgeous on damn near everything. It's just such a beautiful shader. I recently installed Ishtar Commander on my phone so that I could do some uh, inventory management when I'm playing the game. Um, I'm, I'm looking for like, yeah, Ishtar. What is it? Is it collector? It's Ishtar. Ishtar something. Yeah, the Ishtar Collective is a lore website, and this other guy made an inventory manager for it. That's for iOS and Android, and I love it. I, it's I gorgeous. Check that fast. out. Awesome. My only complaint, the only thing I want is I want someone with API access to build it so that I could throw up my character and then see what the shaders would look like on all those. So I know what to either, you know, how much silver dust to save or where to, to go. That's, but that's the collector in me. So yeah, Man. I just posted a picture for you, Marty. So you can see like the new monarchy shader that Ooh. Roger's talking about. I will check that out. See, if you want to try something else, check out uh, Destiny Item Manager. And Oh, I have that too. Okay, yeah. I keep that running because I've, I don't actually sit at the TV and play on the PS4. I use the streaming so that I, I'm on my Mac. And that way I keep the, 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 the dim window open. And while I'm in orbit, I just switch my gear out using the web page. And it automatically does it while I'm in game still. So it's actually really fucking useful. 
like especially if there's a certain uh not well spec and gear set that you really like you can create the template for it switch to it but then when you're getting the engrams and whatnot and decoding them switch over to your highest possible yeah i i have done that a lot but now that the so one of the major quality of life changes in destiny 2 was that it the game just automatically figures out what your highest light level is. You don't have to keep swapping it, um, which was a giant pain in the ass mm-hmm. in Destiny 1. Like, yep. I remember spending, like, I'm just going to go to bed. It's, like, too late for me to be awake. And I'm like, oh, but I have all these engrams that I want to see what I got. And that'd be, like, swapping and changing, and it, it was just too much. So that is now fixed. Um, so, yeah, but that's... That's some of the, the the shader and the faction stuff. And I really was hoping for more interaction between the factions, which sounds fun, but yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it played out. I want them to get more. And I think by having a quote unquote winner, they get to see a lot of information about, you know, who is doing what faction, where are they getting, where are they going, what worked, what didn't work, how can we tweak it so it's more fun? Because that's something that they're totally going to do. But um, let me ask you, though, you're saying that you you were fine with the way it was handled and whatnot. You're not at all disappointed, though, because in all honesty, I, I'm i not going to say that it's a huge disappointment, of course, because it was just tossed in as an extra little something, and it was fun mm-hmm. to do. But I am disappointed that it it became essentially the loot cave. You mm-hmm. you ran into this cave, the same one. You ran into that lost sector, or actually it's speedered to the same spot, shoot either three or four chests, whatever the fuck those things were, and then run out and run and speeder, hop on the speeder and go right back in. I didn't even bother porting out to speeder in. It's faster just to run back to the entrance, turn around, hop on your speeder, which I have a speeder that's instant. Boom, mm-hmm. zip over, three or four run out and it's that's all i was doing it because i wanted to max other things like i during some other time off and whatnot i did a few strikes and some other shit but that's primarily what i did and i don't know i like you said you would have liked to have seen more interaction between the three i would have liked to have seen any real interaction between the three there, there really wasn't like you're shooting shit that the other guys have laying around or whatnot but it's not like there was any real quest lines or quests or any story behind it for the most part i i was kind of disappointed in that especially with those uh supply drop public events that they added in for this where you know you can collect the supplies and get the tokens like but it doesn't matter like i could be collecting supplies with two dead orbit guys i'm still gonna get the same reward like there is literally no competition other than which faction can farm these things the most efficiently Exactly. And and I hear that. I combined my uh, grind with exploring and looking for scannables um, just because that's how I want to pl- like I have very little bit of time. And I so have been told to there are special um, faction scannables inside the lost sectors now. Yes. And there was one and I found it and my headset crapped out and uh, I was I couldn't rescan it. And I was furious. It was like, this is all I wanted today. All I wanted (laughs) was to hear Lakshmi say something. Nothing. And you know what? Like, I have been through some rough patches with Destiny. I remember the loot cave. I remember um, the whole swapping to get the highest light level. You know, the very meh ending to vanilla Destiny. 
I'm going to let this slide just because I've had so much fun and I got to do, I haven't even done all my adventures yet because I'm pacing it. And I did, uh, last night I did Arecibo and I was up. I just did that today. Oh, (laughs) so when, when we're, when the pre-show and on, on discord, when we're like going about what we're talking about today, I wanted to make sure that I was ready to talk about, um, both the, the leak for DLC one and the possibility of DLC two. And I went down a rabbit hole at like 11 o'clock last night. (laughs) So Arecibo, um, I'm hoping that Arecibo is connected to the DLC two, which is looks to be the war mind one. Um, and it, for those who don't own, haven't played it, Arecibo, it's a reference, not, I did not write down what Arecibo meant, but it's also a reference to the giant radio telescope in Puerto Rico. Um, and there's basically a war mind is trying to tell you something. Uh, and what the war mind is telling you depends a little bit on if you're a human or an exo. Uh, and it, the, the takeaway that Ghost has is that uh, the war mind doesn't want you to bother it anymore. Stop asking for it. You're fine on your own. I'm way more powerful than you anyway. And you don't want to ask things of the powerful because then you owe us. Um, which is why if that's the connection to the next DLC, that would be amazing. Um, but what we know about the next DLC is a hoax, which I'll talk about in a second. Um the first DLC, which was leaked thanks to an error on the Microsoft store. So thanks, Microsoft uh, and sourced over at Kotaku. Uh, it's basically we are going to go to the and we've talked about this a little bit. You know, we're going to the infinite forest and there really isn't anything detailed out there other than we're going to Mercury. We're going to rescue Osiris and time travel is going to be involved, um, which with the Vex, that's fine. That's what their whole purpose is. Um, th- what I found super interesting is that there's no discussion of a raid and there's talking about new multiplayer activity, but nothing uh, like one or two new instances in the crucible, but nothing that we could really dig our teeth into right now. Uh, the date for that is probably going to be November or December. I think it's going to be pretty solid though, just because they're going to be trying out that whole procedurally generated forest. And I know we talked about it last week, but the more I think about it, um, this is going to be the first time we're getting a Vex heavy uh, story and lore exploration. I'm like, if we go back to Destiny 1, the first raid was the Vault of Glass, which we've got no reason to go there. Like, just none. There's nothing in the story that directs you the there. The Vex are doing bad things. Right. They're doing bad stuff. Like, what are they doing? How is it worse than what the Hive are doing or what the Fallen are doing? I don't know. It involves a blob and some Vex, and that's about it. Um, and what, like what actually the vault of glass is it's uh like you find out later and there's a lot of you know nerds who've figured out what this could be but it's it's basically like a giant quantum computer that is calculating the sum total of all realities so that's fun um (laughs) and that's why i'm super excited this because i think on mercury which is also a vex world we're going to get more of that kind of uh, the Vex exploring all possibility and in an attempt to survive the end of all things, um, which I can appreciate. I would love to see some really cool stuff with the Vex. I more so than the Fallen or or the uh, the Hive. I would adore seeing a crapload of really intelligent content for them. Well, we've I, seen wealths of lore content for the Hive at this point. Yeah, a fair yeah. amount for the Fallen. And now, of course, we got a lot 
recently with the the other guys, Jesus, the the Cabal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, the Vex the Vex are due for some really good story content. Yeah. There's a big rumor that at some point in time, the Fallen and the Vex, uh, excuse me, the Fallen and uh, the Guardians are going to be able to team up because they're both, you know, on the edge of extinction. Um, There's also a possibility that what we're going to actively see is a, and this is way too Mass Effect, I think, um, but hear me out, but we could actually see a, a faction of the Vex that are not like, hive influenced evil um because there's just that weird so the captain oh captain oh captain mission on nessus where you got to follow that one vex robot the heartbeat oh yeah that yeah that was cool as shit right (laughs) involving the captain and this is the first time you've ever heard a vex talk to somebody and the vex were scanning you so it's entirely possible that there is a subsect of the vex that are not obsessed with the sword logic and um, all descended from like one vex known as Curia Blades, uh, Blade Mind, which is you want that lore. I highly recommend the Destiny Ghost Stories podcast or ping me on Twitter and we can talk. Um, well, the, I mean, if if they're constantly simulating other realities to to find the the best solution of the future, it it stands to reason that they will find the one reality where they make peace with the Guardians instead of getting constantly punched in the face. So there might be a subset that does determine that that is the true path for the future. And that would be phenomenal. And what's also interesting is that there's a wonderful connection between the Exos and the Vex, specifically that Exos were created with the help of Rasputin to explore, to digitize people so that they could literally explore these Vex simulations. Um, It's a, a wonderful bit of really crazy sci-fi and lore. Um, and, but that brings me to the potential. Well, hold uh, on, hold on. Back oh, up. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, oh. the, um, the thing with those quests too, uh, those encounters, I know you're saying that it could be something from another reality or whatever kind of thing, but the way that I looked at it is to be quite honest, obviously, you know, Nobody at Bungie is reinventing the genre. So they're borrowing heavily from various tropes and different things like that. And what mm-hmm. I saw from this was essentially the ghost in the machine. So mm-hmm. we've seen that theory, the ghost in the machine, across how many different shows where suddenly there's that sentience that kind of comes about and they decide, maybe I don't want to shoot everybody in the face anymore <laughs> with lasers. And become happy little robots instead. So I kind of saw it in that way where not necessarily a Wally kind of thing, but a uh, we're going to go more perhaps maybe even a scientific route or something versus just mayhem. And I, yeah, I, I was all right with that. I could go for far too long about my weird theories about the origins, the Vex and <laughs> their, their <laughs> syntheticness with organics. It, this is a whole episode of the podcast of its own. So there's oh, yeah. numerous avenues they could take this. <laughs> right. And, and, and Bungie is pulls uh, a lot of its uh, like references, a lot of its own material over and over again. Like AI are named after uh, swords typically uh, from history, like Joyeuse or weird, crazy Russian monks, Rasputin, uh, but Durandal and the Marathon, and there's a whole, in Cortana, there's a whole history of that for Bungie. Um, but what I see with the Vex is just this possibility of, I, you know, for whatever reason, they're trying, like, well, from Destiny 1, their, their purpose, their reason to Etra is to 
become part a fundamental part of the universe. Like instead of a quark, you've got the Vex. Um, so there's there's that there. And I think that you could potentially have a story where they're like, we want to build a universe that's better and we just don't want to be exterminated because we discovered the hive and they're going to kill us all. But, you know, then then there's another mission on IO where Asher's basically like the very nature of the Vex infect everything it touches. They, they turn uh, planets into computers. They are turning Asher into the Vex. The Taken, what's left of them, are being converted by the Vex as just as the Taken are trying to turn them into the soldiers for their army of whoever is leading them, which is also an interesting point because they're totally leaderless right now because we murdered all of them. <laughs> <laughs> There is um so we so there's been a little bit of information about Destiny One's expand excuse me the Destiny Two's first expansion and there is a hoax out there I'm convinced it's a hoax of uh, a DLC for uh, the second DLC the Warmind related one and the number one reason why I'm going to call it as a hoax right now is that one it popped up on Reddit two by a person whose account showed up within one hour and has never been heard of from again. That's not how Bungie leaks typically happen. Uh, if anything, if somebody from Bungie was like actively trying to do that or leaking it in an interesting way, it would be an ARG. That's just, that's just Bungie's ethos. Um, their basic idea is that the next raid is going to be uh, Rasputin and the Deepstone Crypt, which uh, we talked uh, Roger, you talked about earlier, and uh, we've mentioned in other places, but the Deepstone Crypt is where Exos are born. And if you have the uh, special collector's edition of the Taken King, you get a journal, a paper, real journal, that details how Cade became an Exo. I and want that fucking thing. <laughs> I read that, and I was like, I need this in my life, okay? It's that simple. So if I ever, fuck, I'm hoping there's some somewhere. I don't care if I'm playing it even anymore. I want that journal. So if it's anything like the 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 Cabal book, the Emperor book, uh, in the Destiny 2 limited edition, it's stunning. It's a short, quick read with beautiful artwork and some sort of code in it. Like I know there's something in there. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to decode it. It's too much. Um, but this, this hoax is all about the deep stone crypt and they're calling it the crypt of the tyrant. Um, and that's based on some lore from destiny one where another AI kind of like failsafe uh, refers to Rasputin as that tyrant, the benevolent tyrant. Um, and also, uh, Rasputin's uh, has made mention of the fact that Exos are quote unquote his. And so you go into like some zone called the Manhattan nuclear zone, which would be the first time that would be ever mentioned anywhere in the game. And you're going to go find a new AI named Kada, uh, Katamom because it looks a lot like Cardamom, but it's not. It's C-A-E-D-M-O-N based on the name of an Irish, excuse me, of an, of an English monk who base, who helped create music, I guess, or English music. It doesn't fit the, the destiny. It doesn't fit the destiny naming convention of AI, I think. And also like the posting on Reddit just doesn't feel like a destiny thing. It just does not look to be real. 
There's also one other detail. Now that the the heresy of the speaker has been revealed, like what heresy? Nothing of that has been revealed. There's hints of a lot of stuff that the speaker did, but there's nothing that's been revealed. So the DLC. Well, are they just referring to the fact that the the traveler doesn't actually talk to him? That might be right. what, and he was lying. Well, not hiding by it, lying by omission is what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what they're referring to. They could be. We, like, there's a lot to unpack here. Like, what was the nature of the speaker? And until there is something about the speaker, I'm calling this a hoax. It just and it's yeah. I've got I, the I think that, okay. Let, let's put it this way: even if it is a hoax, I'm hoping that Bungie is still listening to people's excitement at the possibility of a DLC that is Cade and Rasputin and, and all that related to give us that full history of what happened kind of deal and 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 any sort of resolution that we can get as well. Like that would be fucking incredible. Absolutely oh. awesome. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think we're going to see that. Like the idea of the deep stone crypt as this, you know, research base on Enceladus or on some other Jovian moon, it's going to have to happen. Uh, It's just too great of a set piece not to use. My only concern is like, when are we going to see that? Because I don't want them to, it feels like to me, unless there's something else behind the deep stone crypt, unless there's something else exo wise, I want to save that for maybe a year or two. Maybe that's like the big, you know, maybe that's a bigger Taken King-esque expansion. I, I want it, but I I want it to, I, I, I want to like thoroughly enjoy that and, and do a deep dive. And we all know that Nathan Fillion's going to be around to do this. Like he's absolutely loving Cade. Cade is the number one like tie-in property for destiny to merch and everybody wants to know about who's this who's captain mel playing now so we're gonna see it it's just uh no i agree with you i I agree with you i don't want to see it as dlc i want to see it as an expansion so that there is far more to it agreed Uh, agreed a full-on uh taken king style expansion let luke smith and his people get back to it and be like yeah, we're going to start hinting at it. Um, the only thing with all this Destiny 2 news, like they're setting up a lot and they're pulling at some of the Destiny 1 threads, uh, but they are going to take their time on on showing what's going to happen next. They got a 10-year game plan and we're yeah. about a third of the way through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's still a lot of time to go. Yeah. All right. How about we move on to Red Dead Redemption? Because uh, then we're going to have to cut out. We're already at the hour mark. So oh, wow. we had the uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 trailer come out. Vince, go ahead. Yeah, we got a cool look at uh, what we can expect from the story of Red Dead Redemption 2. And it looks like, uh, by all accounts, this game is going to be a prequel uh, by evidence by the fact that uh, the leader of the Vanderlind gang shows up in this trailer. Uh, of course, Vanderlind gang being the gang that... Uh, what's his face in the first game uh marston had broken away from and that was you know the whole point of the game was that was his redemption uh trying to get away from the the deeds of his past well that character shows up here as a much younger person so it looks like the outlaw that we're playing in this game a man by the name of arthur morgan he is a member of this gang and he's a bad dude (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> robberies, murders, extortions, blackmails. Looks like you're going to get up to your elbows in all kinds of blood and gold because it is basically a minute and a half of him just robbing and killing people, being a complete asshole. But ah, I'm of mixed opinions here because on one hand, this does look legitimately cool as shit. Robbing stagecoaches. We saw some new environments, them down in the bayou, wrestling alligators. Like this, it looks so fun and interesting and just batshit crazy. Like it looks like it's gonna be a blast. But knowing that this is a prequel and that the gang is still around after this game, like it has me wondering like where the redemption side of the story is gonna come in. Like GTA you know, the other main Rockstar franchise, of course, it's known you're a criminal in this game. Like the entire game is about rising to the top of a criminal empire. You're, at no point are you doing good things. The whole point of the first Red Dead Redemption, it was a guy from a bad past trying to be a better person, but can't get away from that, still ends up having to do, you know, things that he didn't want to do anymore. And I'm just kind of wondering what the story arc we can expect here in Red Dead Redemption is going, Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to be. Is is it going to be like just GTA on horses or is it going to have some of that emotional weight that made the previous game so special? Yeah, but you're assuming that the only way to attain that weight is by way that by that redemption theme versus any other theme that they can do. It doesn't have to have anything to do at this point anymore with redemption because that's just now the name of the IP. So it could be about anything and still be something that's has weight behind it. I, I, I hope so. And I have faith. Yeah. Just I do. that the, this trailer, I, again, I'm not taking anything away because the game still looks like it's going to be amazing. I just have a tiny hint of doubt that maybe it's going to be a little too different for me, but oh, it man. still looks See, fucking I awesome. I was watching it and I don't know if you got the same feel, especially at the spot where they're saying that the law has been following them forever. And I'm going, yes, it's fucking Butch Cassidy in the Sundance kid. <laughs> Just a lot more violent, you know? And as soon as I made that connection, it was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Now All I'm right. really right. yeah. on board. If, if you look at it that way. I hadn't come from that approach. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait, dude. <laughs> I cannot fucking wait. All right, with that, we are actually going to wrap it up for the night. Thank you very much for joining us. You can, of course, find the show notes at For The Lore. You can find us on Twitter at For The Lore or individually. The Missing Joe is at Loaders at Jay. Vince is at Simonian, Marty is at Officer Gleason, and I am at Zen Buddhist. You can also leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you next week. Bye. Hello, everybody. Today, I'd like to talk to you about Hob, a new game from Runic Studios, the minds behind Torchlight and Torchlight 2. When asked quickly what Hob is, I like to say that it is a combination of Bastion, Legend of Zelda, and Torchlight. Kind of if they had a sexy baby. It's an action-adventure puzzle platforming game in which you play as the main character. Nameless, voiceless, and that's kind of one of the interesting points about the game. There is no dialogue. There is no explanation besides what is visually being represented or shown to you. 
So everything that you do, every inference that you make, every decision that you make is being colored by what you see, not by what you are being told. This is an interesting proposition. For some folks, it presents this thing where it can be a little bit difficult to understand where you have to go. But I feel that the game does a very good job of tutorializing by visually showing you what needs to be done. When the game starts, you are woken up from something. Your door's open by a giant plucky robot. Giant plucky robot with a flower in his chest, to be specific. You're brought out into the world, and he shows you what's around you. And one of the first things you notice is that there is corruption. And as you go and you make nice with this giant giraffe, well, a piece of that corruption hits you, and it takes your arm. Well... That's the bad part. Plucky robot friend here saves you by cutting off your arm and then giving you one of his. And that's where your adventure begins. You wake up with a brand new robot arm, which allows you to interact with elements of the world that you couldn't interact with before. Opening doors, pulling switches, uh, sort of gives you a key to the kingdom in a way. Robot friend doesn't have an extra arm, though, so he needs you to go and do things for him. The puzzles are clever. There are multiple solutions to several of them. It is a non-linear progression, and the interesting thing about the world is it's damn near open world. While some people have been complaining that the game is small, there's a lot packed into what is... I wouldn't say it's even a small area. It's what some people would consider small, but when you look at it with all the detail and all the hidden areas and all the layers of the zones... It's incredibly deep and mindful. The animations are fluid. The controls are very, very tight. The combat is rewarding. And going through and finding all the secrets feels like an accomplishment. And that's kind of an important thing to note. The game does a very good job of rewarding your behavior and allowing you to feel like you've accomplished something big when you've solved a puzzle or when you've downed an enemy, and yes, there is combat. Each enemy has specific patterns, and they can be grouped in certain areas and make their fighting them really, really difficult. There are many points in this game where I sat there and said, fuck yeah, when I've found a hidden vista, when I've beat a enemy that had killed me like 18 times before I got past them. It's just really well done, that, that, that sort of sense of almost like, here's a cookie, you did good. While traveling through the game, you unlock new areas, and you do this by finding upgrades to your arm. These are mostly like computer terminals that give you more programmed abilities, whether it's a super powerful punch, whether it's a jump and slam, whether it allows you to zip line across electric pads, and everything builds. One of the cool things I found about the game is that after I gotten pretty far in, I went back to see what else I could find with all of my new abilities. And sure enough, I found several hidden things, including different outfits that gave me different powers or different abilities, like one that increased my hit points to an obscene level or one that allowed my energy regeneration to become absolutely crazy. And they looked pretty cool, too. Also hidden were vistas, and these are... Little moments where your character, you can lead them over to it and interact with it, and you'll sit down and sort of take in everything around you. And it's this beautiful shot where the camera will go out, and you just get a view of the area. 
these are absolutely gorgeous and have produced some of the best screenshots I've taken in a video game in years. Everything about this game, to me, is a labor of love. Now, here's where I'm going to get into a little spoilery bits, because I want to talk a little bit about the ending. So, if you're going to play the game and you want to be surprised, come back later. If you're still with us, at the end, you solve all of these puzzles and you activate this giant titan and it leads you to this tower that's sort of floating in the middle of the air off in the distance. It's something you can see throughout the entire game. As you get up there, you notice that there are several things just like your character sitting on thrones around the room. However, the corruption that you've been fighting the entire time that you've been solving and and getting rid of, this is where it emanated from. And one of the interesting things and something I didn't expect is in this moment when you discover this, when you you go up to what is essentially the creature that started this whole thing, you have a a choice. Now, again, there's no dialogue here, but your choice is to accept this corruption as a gift to you. And that's what they say. That it's essentially like she's benevolent. She she takes us in a sort of a, a plague away from you. The spore that's trying to kill you. She takes it away and, and sort of says, I just want to live. At least that was what I got out of it. Or you can attack. If you attack, you have to go through a boss battle, a final boss battle with a creature that you've interacted with before. Another of your race that was corrupted. And here there are two distinct endings. If you sign with Corruption, the game ends. You're brought into the fold, and the corruption spreads across the entire planet would be the wrong thing to say. And what you see is Plucky Robot Friend, not he powers down. All of the others of your race, as you find out, are in these other containers elsewhere. Well, they're sort of dead now, or at least that's the assumption. But if you fight, you clear the corruption and you're treated to a seat where this corruption once sat. You can sit in its place and the giant titan draws the tower down and Utopia is born. This is really incredible when you see all of the others of your race sort of come out. And it got me thinking. So Hob is an interesting name. And for those of you that don't know it actually has something in sort of European folklore. There are two different pieces of it. Hob can be something that refers to a hobgoblin or an evil prankster, or it can be something that refers to a small mythological household spirit that would stay on the farmlands and would be helpful to the people around, basically, who it adopted. A very interesting concept, and I think that's where the hob name comes from. Now, of course... Runic has been very tight-lipped about it, which, good on them. They want to hear the sort of the theories on what people think. And I think this is where it roots from. You are almost like a hob, a spirit, trying to bring order or goodness to this world. Or at the end, like I said, you can choose to side with the corruption. You can choose to be that mischievous spirit. But it was interesting because in the lore, these things would go through and they would order the farmlands. They would take care of certain things, whether it was feeding the animals, shooing the horses... Things like that. This is sort of where the myth of the uh, cobbler and the elves came from. They were hobs. They were they were household spirits that did the work for the cobbler and then s- sort of laid it all out in a nice orderly fashion. 
But Hobbes can be that element that brings order to the chaos, or they can bring chaos to the order, depending on how they're treated or how they view their treatment. I think that is the, the thing here. I think that is what you are. You are bringing order to this world as you're woken up, not necessarily because the corruption has come. I think the corruption may have always been there. And as you unlock various areas, you see there are several robots underneath each of the, the sections of the world that you have to lock into place that you have to activate that are they're working on it. And I think what they're doing is they're pulling order out of chaos. And I think they're trying to replace this sort of corrupt, this corruption, this this infection and bring order and peace to the land so that whatever the main character's race is called, we'll just call them Hobbs or Hoblites that you think that they are sort of going to be gifted this world with all of these wonderful creatures, these weird elks and tiny sprites that you have to uh, release and save. This becomes their world. And I think that's what their intention is, is to bring sort of that order to the chaos. And chaos, I think, has a claim here. I think that they do want to live, that this is a living entity. But in order for this paradise to be born you have to sort of put it in check. You have to get rid of it. And it's such a heavy weight on such a light game where you're sitting there and you have to think, do I need to kill or destroy something to preserve a greater life? Or does it deserve a chance just as everything else? It was one of those incredibly powerful gaming moments. And between very clever puzzles, between amazing storytelling without saying a word, this wonderful thing where we talk about this all the time on the show, you show, you, you don't tell. It's design 101. And so many game industry leaders fail at this. But yet here's Runic with Hob, who does a fantastic story of making you emotionally invested in a voiceless character. While that's not necessarily uncommon it's done so well here the visual styling and art is amazing the soundtrack when it is there and present it's subtle in the background and has its accenting moments works really well and one of the things that i think is great about it is the sound of the entire world sounds like a living world the water sounds like it's well placed the rustling of the grasses is, is there there's wild calls of birds and animals it has a, a feel of something vibrant to it it is a well-crafted game it is something that i think has replay value to find all of the secrets whether it's finding each every outfit or finding all of the possible upgrades uh, all of the hints of everything that went through I think there are so many layers here that I think maybe I don't even have the whole story. I think there's more for me to discover, and that excites me. Especially for the fact that this game, with all of its replay value, with all of its its love and care, is only $20 United States, like currency. That's That's obscene. If you like adventure games, if you like puzzles, if you like platforming, if you like solving a riddle, because that's what this is. All done with beautiful visuals, very tight controls, and amazing storytelling. This is a game that I really highly recommend you pick up. It has been a truly great experience, and I will say that it has been an experience. 
and it's something that I think everybody should experience. Hob might very well be one of the best games that I have played in the last several years. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.